Okay, Boomer. Okay, Boomer. Okay, Boomer. Okay, Boomer. Okay, kid. Now it's easy for your parents to shop because merchandise is designed for younger people. But there is not enough design for the Boomer. So says Jorge de Herrio, who runs a website called Far Out. That website is designed to make business Boomer friendly. I asked many of them if they had a, a product that was senior specific. And they looked at me kind of surprised. We'll have details on that. Which brings us to the WDBX Mad Hippie. He's free again after that incident at the radio station a few weeks ago, you know, when he drove his car into the wall. Well, the Mad Hippie is on a work release program that involves bricklaying. I, I, I don't do this kind of stuff, but hey, I'm making an effort. And, oh, what's happening? <laughs> we'll find out what's happening in a few minutes. Uh, once again, you'll hear sirens in the background. Also, we'll hear about people who care for dementia patients, drug negotiations, mental health, COVID, and high blood pressure, and senior alcohol addiction next during the news. The Biden administration has unveiled the names of the first 10 drugs subject to price negotiations in Medicare, including several popular blood thinners and diabetes medications. Now, you can look that up if you go to Medicare. Now, these medications treat heart disease, certain cancers, diabetes, and autoimmune diseases, among other conditions. Medicare enrollees paid a total of $3.4 billion in out-of-pocket costs last year. This is according to the Department of Health and Human Services. Those who didn't receive additional financial assistance shelled out as much as $6,500 on average. Once set, the negotiated prices take effect in 2026, though the drug industry has filed multiple lawsuits seeking to derail the effort. Up to 9 million seniors will be taking the drugs on the list at that time, and that's according to the White House. The controversial program was authorized by the Inflation Reduction Act that Democrats pushed through Congress last year. The drug industry and their supporters, however, are determined to quash the effort, filing at least eight lawsuits in recent weeks declaring it unconstitutional. And talking about drugs, let's talk about hypertension. An American Heart Association journal investigated the development and risk factors associated with persistent high blood pressure in people with COVID-19. Well, unfortunately for many, a COVID-19 infection's effects don't end with a negative COVID test. With new variants, staying up to date on the latest COVID research can be instrumental in maintaining health. Experts are still learning about the effects of long COVID, and now research shows that a COVID-19 infection may cause long-term high blood pressure or hypertension. Now, researchers also found that people hospitalized due to COVID-19 were more than twice as likely to develop persistent hypertension, and those not hospitalized were 1.5 times more likely compared to both groups of those with influenza, hospitalized and non-hospitalized. Now let's go from high blood pressure to mental health and once again coronavirus. The pandemic has been associated with worsening mental health among people in the United States and around the world. In the U.S., the COVID-19 outbreak in early 2020 caused widespread lockdowns and disruptions in daily life while triggering a short but severe economic recession that resulted in widespread unemployment. Three years later, Americans have largely returned to normal activities, but challenges with mental health remain. At least 4 in 10 U.S. adults, 41%, have experienced 
high levels of psychological distress at some point during the pandemic. That, according to the four Pew Research Center surveys conducted between March 2020 and September 22. More than a third of high school students have reported mental health challenges during the pandemic. More than a quarter of unpaid carers looking after loved ones with dementia have said they are worse off financially because of their responsibilities, according to a charity which is calling on the government to do more to support them. Alzheimer's Society said carers are spending the equivalent of four working days a week providing essential practical and emotional support to those they look after and facing money struggles as a result. Its survey of 1,000 unpaid current and former carers of people with dementia found 28% said they were worse off from a financial perspective due to their caring responsibilities, while 16% said they are having to use savings. Other findings showed that respondents feel that they have lost friends or lack frequent social contact with others due to their caring responsibility. And 26% said they feel they have lost their identity. Almost half of those surveyed said they have had to juggle caring duties with working full-time, and almost a fifth said they have had to reduce their working hours. The Alzheimer's Society said it is calling the government to take clear action to introduce a sustainable funding model which pools the risk of care costs to provide people with dementia with easy and timely access to personalized care. Now let's turn to addiction. As of 2021, nearly 29 million adults aged 18 and older had problems with alcohol in 2021. Uh, in 2021, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Service Administration it, it estimated that more than 11% of U.S. adults aged 65 or older had at least one binge drinking episode within a month of surveying. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention defines binge drinking for women. It means consuming four or more drinks in a two-hour period. In men, it means consuming five or more drinks in the same time period. Now, the same survey found that nearly 3% of adults aged 65 and older drank heavily within the month of surveying. The CDC defines heavy drinking as consuming 15 or more drinks per week for men and 8 drinks per week for women. Past research has indicated that as many as 4% of elderly adults suffer from alcohol use disorder. Okay, from all this negative news, let's go to something encouraging. Now, when I was a kid, I asked my father about the so-called self-made man. He responded that a self-made man was a horse's ass. <laughs> anyway, Kendall Boyson looks at the matter in detail. Is there such a thing as a self-made man? Hi, Robert. So today I'm proposing a question. Can you really be self-made? Let's take a humble step back widen our purview to assess our support system as we ask this question. The pure definition of self-made says, made such by one's own actions, especially having achieved success or prominence through one's own efforts. But what about all the people who told you it was possible? The people who poured encouragement into your soul, helped you back up when things didn't go as expected, and rallied behind all the many modifications and extra attempts. Not to take anything away from the choices you've made. In fact, let's celebrate them and inspire you to take more chances and trust in your own abilities. But let's not forget those who had your back, took your hand, challenged your ideas, 
and forced you to be better. Have you ever heard, I'm great at everything except humility, which I'm amazing at? (laughs) Seriously, though, humbly, I think about all the people who supported all the crazy ideas I've had over the years. I was a wee entrepreneur, starting at age eight with my very own yard sale. Sounds harmless, except as a latchkey kid, I'm pretty sure my mother wouldn't have appreciated me selling the contents of my room on the side of the road while she was at work. Oops. But it just snowballed from there. I never once remember my family laughing at me or telling me that whatever my small business flavor of the month was would fail. Sure, my mom still reminds me of the puzzle piece jewelry phase I peddled in my own pop-up store called Exception to the Rule, but she was always careful not to squelch my dreams. Did you know you can be your own motivational coach? Mantras aren't just for memes. They really work when you practice them. Say it, repeat it, visualize it, and then take action. Keep your eyes out for opportunity. When I want something, whether it's an item or a situation to change or improve, I visualize it. I say it out loud. I focus my energy on it, and I look for opportunities that are in alignment. Remember that car you wanted? You researched it, looked at pics. You might have even customized it online or even taken it for a test drive. It's your focus, and guess what? Now you see it everywhere. Why can't the desires of your heart follow the same practice? Let's try it. You want to? Every week on Encouragementology, I end with a challenge and a statement. I know you can do it. And I believe that. But what if you don't? And what if you don't have someone telling you? Sherry Silk shares four keys to overcoming encouragement deficit. This was found at lovingonpurpose.com. Our need and desire for encouragement in life is inherent. We come into the world helpless and unable to do anything for ourselves and depend on the encouragement of our primary caregivers to fuel our development. Healthy kids want and expect continuous attention and cheering on from the important adults in their lives. Sherry said, my grandson Lincoln, for example, routinely tries to intimidate his older brothers who love gymnastics and seem to spend a third of their lives upside down and flip-flopping around the house. Not because he loves gymnastics, but because he wants my attention. He gets on his hands and feet, lifts one foot off the ground and calls, Mimi, watch, watch. Of course, I unfailingly tell him how amazing he is and how this simple act is worth great celebration. This is how the encouragement cycle begins, and it remains critical to our growth throughout life. There's probably no significant challenge or risk we can overcome without encouragement. This cycle can break down, however, for at least two reasons. The first is when the supply of encouragement fails. When the attention and words of affirmation are replaced by distraction, silence, or worst of all, criticism. The second reason is a little more complicated, and it's when the demand for encouragement fails. This happens when people stop seeking genuine courage to fuel real growth in their life and instead seek attention, affirmation, and approval 
that simply makes them feel better about where they are without challenging them to change. When I look at our society, I see the encouragement cycle broken on both ends. There's both a general lack of encouragement and a false demand for encouragement that isn't actually about providing courage to accomplish anything. People want to be cheered on without being in a race. Many have gone from being children receiving praise for childhood feats to being adults longing for the same praise without performing adult feats. Sherry said, I understand that alongside our need for courage, we all need to be loved unconditionally for who we are, no matter our stage of growth or level of accomplishment. But we need to move past getting stickers and points for participation. We aren't children any longer, and something inside of us knows that we need more than getting a trophy for just showing up. As humans, we crave genuine courage and need constant encouragement and validation to fuel our personal growth. Merely consuming compliments and praise without putting ourselves at risk won't bring us true fulfillment. So take responsibility for staying encouraged. Seek feedback and refuse to be offended. Practice encouraging others. I love the advice to take responsibility to stay engaged. No matter where you are in your life or on your journey, you need positive people to talk to, brainstorm with, and work things out with. It's very easy to get isolated, maybe even easier than you realize. You may have friends, family members, and coworkers now, but as your life evolves and changes, the statistics are alarming. 50% of individuals over 60 are at risk for social isolation. A report from the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine points out that more than one-third of adults age 45 and older feel lonely. And nearly one-fourth of adults age 65 and older are considered to be socially isolated. Work on your relationships now and throughout your life. Typically, childhood friends move away. Parent groups end when you empty nest. And co-workers are a thing of the past once you retire. Be intentional. Look outside for interest groups, hobbies, book clubs, or volunteer groups. So I challenge you. Pat yourself on the back as you look to thank those in your support system who encouraged you, lifted you up, and championed your way to becoming self-made. I know you can do it. Back to you, Robert, and OK Boomer. Thank you very much, Kendall. And uh, you're one of the people who is very encouraging. However, you mentioned uh, the isolation that a lot of boomers go through. And last week, we talked about isolation. And a lot of it had to do with divorce. Also, last time we reported senior citizens are hooking up by using their smartphones before and during the divorce and after the divorce. Jill Graskowitz, director of a local senior citizen center, says one common issue that leads to gray divorces. Well, I asked her. Okay, let's talk about money. How does that figure into these divorces? Whether you're young or old, wherever you are on the spectrum, your assets play a big part in the divorce. Who's going to get what? How are we going to divide it? And as you age, hopefully the idea is to acquire more assets. Your parents pass away, you inherit money. 
you retire, you have your 401ks, you have pensions, you have uh, social security, possibly one spouse stayed at home, one spouse uh, worked all their life, they make more on social security, uh, you own your house, you own your cars jointly. What are we gonna do with all this stuff? Um, you know, I'm not an attorney, but I've been through a divorce. I've had parents who have been divorced. Uh, my in-laws have been divorced and I work um, amongst people who are in uh, their silver years getting divorces. <laughs> At Club 60. Absolutely. Um, divorce is definitely a thing here. And um, it's something that you really have to think about. You have to plan for because you do have assets and you do have needs even if those assets are your social security or your pension do you want to give away half of your stuff or what kind of plan are you going to come up with to make this fair how long have you been married if you've been married i believe i want to say don't quote me on this check with your attorney um 10 years then you're entitled to more things if you've been married for nine and a half years that's a kind of a gray line there but if you've been married for 30 and 45 years you've hopefully got some things built up but you don't hopefully want to wish any ill harm on on your spouse let's just do this amicably but i think that a lot of people have a misconception that divorces are just you know this quick thing let's just split this up get this over with and um, due to our judicial system and the way the processes are, divorces typically take between 11 and 18 months. That could mean in some cases one of the spouses would have died. Of course. And what if, and I've seen this many times here because we have people just living on Social Security today. Pensions are starting to become more scarce. What happens if you can't get divorced because you can't afford it? What happens if you can't move out? If, if I needed to move out today, I'm going to need $1,000 for rent, $1,000 for your deposit. I'm going to need money to turn my electricity on, money to turn my water on. How are we going to split up some furniture? And how am I going to move all of this stuff? And I'm able-bodied. If I'm in my 60s, 70s, 80s, I'm going to need to hire some help. So this is going to be a strain on that already strained relationship. So a lot of things that you need to think about. And this is where we're seeing people who they decide to not really get divorced on paper. They just may go live in on two separate sides of town in two different houses we actually have several people like that here they don't live together they're they're married but they do not live together i think this is a two-part two-part deal i do believe that you should work on your marriage anything that is worth it you have to work for but i also believe in happiness and life is short. 
And if your spouse isn't going to go along with, or you can't come up with a compromise to do the things that make you both happy, then at some point you have to do things for yourself. And I think that is just the bottom line. You know, in the end, when you're laying there and and you're ready to go off to another world and your life is going behind you and you're flashing before your eyes, are you going to think, man, I wish I would have done this. Man, I wish I would have done that. I, I don't want to think that. I want to think, I remember going here. I remember going there. I remember doing this with with these people and having these experiences. I think that is the key to a happy life. And that's Jill Graskowitz, former nursing home administrator and current director of Club 60, the Marion, Illinois Senior Center. And in case uh, you're not from Illinois, I know people think of Illinois as being corn and soybean fields and Chicago with Springfield somewhere in the middle. But A third of the state is heavily wooded, and there's rolling hills and lakes, and then you've got the Mississippi and Ohio rivers coming together. It's a very interesting place. Now, I just noticed this on the bulletin board. I don't approve of it, and uh, I don't want to air dirty laundry, but I don't think this is fair at all. It says if you want to get coffee while you're on the air, you have to ask permission of the kid. All right, I'll play by the rules. Kid, can I go go and get some coffee? Okay, Boomer. (laughs) Lock him up. All right, I'm going to get up. Okay, now, part of this was pre-recorded earlier this morning because of uh, what we were concerned about. So I'm going to take a walk to the coffee machine, and we'll get the coffee going, then we'll go to that pre-recording. It has to do with one of our broadcasters here called MAD. Hippie. Okay, as we make the coffee, let's open the door from what happened yesterday. Well, ladies and gentlemen, the mad hippie is back. How you doing today? You're out of the home. Uh, yeah, well, you know, the last week's incident was kind of a mistaken identity, identity thing, man, like, you know, but, uh, hey, what are you going to do? You know, uh. But now they got put me on this community service thing. I'm building this wall now, and I'm putting these bricks up. And, and it looks pretty sloppy. Well, you know, they should have hired a professional. What, what should I? What can I say? <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't do this kind of stuff. But hey, I'm making an effort. And, oh, what, what's happening? Oh no! Watch out! Watch out! Watch out! Uh, dude, um, I don't think I'm going to make it to work tomorrow. Okay, here's a song about an Irishman who had a little bad luck. And I've been told this is a true story. Dear sir, I write this note to you to tell you of me plight. For at the time of writing, I am not a pretty sight. Me body is all black and blue, me face a deathly gray. And I write this note to tell you why I'm not at work today. While working on the 14th floor, some bricks I had to clear. But to toss them down from such a height was not a good idea. 
The foreman wasn't very pleased He is an awkward sod He said I'd have to cart them down The ladders in me hot Now shifting all those bricks by hand It was so very slow So I hoisted up a barrel And secured a rope below But in me haste to do the job I was too blind to see That a barrel full of building bricks Is heavier than me And so when I untied the rope The barrel fell like lead And clinging tightly to the rope I started up instead I shot up like a rocket Till to my dismay I found That halfway up I met the bloody barrel coming down Now the barrel broke me shoulder As to the ground it sped And when I reached the top I banged the pulley with me head I clung on tightly numb with shock From this almighty blow And the barrel spilled out half the bricks Fourteen floors below Now when these bricks had fallen From the barrel to the floor I then outweighed the barrel And so started down once more Still clinging tightly to the rope Me body racked with pain Halfway down I met the bloody barrel once again Now the force of this collision Halfway down the office block Caused multiple contusions And a nasty state of shock Still clinging tightly to the rope I fell toward the ground And landed on the broken bricks The barrel had scattered round Well I lay there groaning on the ground I thought I'd passed the worst But the barrel hit the pulley wheel And then the bottom burst A shower of bricks rained down on me I didn't have a hope For as I lay there bleeding I let go the bloody rope The barrel being unsecured Then started down once more And it landed right across me As I lay there on the floor It broke three ribs and my left arm And I can only say That I hope you'll understand Why Murphy's not at work today Oh, the Bricklayers song by Ray Stevens, 1993 As for the mad hippie we hope to see him next time when he gets out of the hospital. Now, you've heard the words in the 60s and 70s, fur out, man. But in 2023, it means something entirely different. So says Jorge Del Cario, who has started a website called Far Out. Jorge takes it from there. Far Out is a place for boomers to socialize, shop, find jobs, and express themselves freely. Now, you mentioned that there are a lot of businesses that almost discriminate against seniors. How are you going to correct that? More than, more than discriminating is that the senior market is being ignored. And by ignoring the senior market, they're losing an amazing opportunity to, make, to do business. Meaning, if they were more age-friendly, that is, more inviting to people 
you know, to, to the senior market, as well as to their um, employees, senior employees, they will do better. Give me some examples of how that's not happening. Okay. Um, I asked many of them if they had a, a product that was senior-specific. And they looked at me kind of surprised. And there are so many products that could be senior-specific and improve their sales with that. Uh, give me a, a few examples of senior-specific products. Okay, vehicles. There are, there are some types of vehicles that are more senior-specific than others. See, we seniors look for more comfort, added safety, ease of operation, and stuff like that. You can see examples in the telecom industry as well. I remember as a child, we had a 1968 Cadillac Sedan DeVille. It was huge, it weighed probably two tons, and my father bought it, he was getting into his um, 60s, and one of the reasons I think he bought it was because it was comfortable. Uh, today, well, we seniors at this age see comfort. It's not easy to fit in a 55 Thunderbird where you have to fold, I mean, to, 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 to get in a fetal position in that car. You need comfort, and uh, today you need safety, and you need ease of operations. We don't like that many buttons. I don't blame you. Uh, I told you I was a pilot. Every single button, knob, and dial, and light is there for a specific reason, but now we've got cars that are more complicated than airplanes inside. No, not only cars. Uh, see, I, I launched the uh, cellular system back in uh, 1990s in, in my home country in Bolivia. Um, today, I cannot operate a cell phone except turn it on, off, and answer calls. Um, it's difficult. Today is very difficult. Too many buttons, too many, too many complicated things. Yet, you are an engineer by training. Oh, by all means, I, I am an engineer, and it's surprising, but, but I'm an engineer with very little patience. And I don't have the patience to be, you know, to start learning and, 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 and punching those little buttons with my, with my fingers. I need simplicity. Well, that's what I've been talking to people about because I uh, use programs for editing audio and, and uh, I'm on the web. I have a website. But when it comes to ordinary middle of the road, middling things, that's what drives me nuts. Like the bank uh, puts a note on its website, we've, we've changed the website for your convenience. Then I have to learn the whole damn website all over again. Gets worse. It's um, putting, they, 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 they want you to communicate with a robot. And that is the problem. That is the real problem. We don't like robots. We like real people we can, we, we can talk to. I just failed with a, with, a, with a company that transfers money. Um, last night, I failed communicating with them because a robot did not understand my, 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 my problem. We need real people, Robert, and that is something we are forgetting. And that is what I think is the invasion of artificial intelligence. As you know, we, we fear that robots will control us someday. Well, in a way they are. Unfortunately, that's how I see it. Let me look at it from a different view. Uh, an owner of a business decides that they don't want to hire a uh, answering service with live people, so they'll automate it. It's yeah. cheaper for them. 
yeah, of, it's not only cheaper, it's a trendy thing to do. Remember, uh, there's th there were businesses in the last years that had answering machines, you know, and they would say, you, you called such and such business. If you need to talk to the manager, dial one. If you need to talk to the secretary, dial two. By the time they're in number 29, you forgot why you were calling this business. As simple as that. There used to be a receptionist who would say, good morning, sir, can I help you? Now, today there isn't anymore, but, it's, but in a way it's, it's sort of a trend, you know, unless you, don't, you have one of those systems, maybe you are old-fashioned or something like that. But um, not, all, not all artificial intelligence is good, but not all of it is bad either. There's some, some things that are interesting about artificial intelligence. Okay, how is far out going to reconcile all of this and change the behavior of merchants and people who deal with older oh, people? What a great question. Far out invented, well, not invented, but it developed something called age-friendly business. Meaning, those people who will subscribe to age-friendly business, to far out's age-friendly business, will get information from us, will get training, will get seminars, etc., etc., a little bit of consulting on how to deal with us us meaning as seniors and they they will place a seal at the door that says age friendly business i'm no judge i will not uh, control that it's something that they will decide when it th whether they are ready to be able to uh, to carry business in a, in a more inviting fashion to both senior customers and senior employees. You have any further thoughts? Oh yes. Um, just recently I found out there's about 47 million seniors that every month are struggling to pay bills. And that, that, that became an obsession. And uh, I developed a uh, solution through entrepreneurship to see whether I can, I can solve the problem. But uh, yes, we, we seniors play a very, very absolutely important role in this economy. Longevity is the other thing. We're living longer. And uh, in 2030, they say we may double those 18 and younger. So seniors are very important today and always. And that was Jorge de Carrillo, who runs a website called Far Out, and he and I are talking about collaborating together on more little projects for boomers. Now, on that same subject about uh, artificial things, artificial intelligence and all of that, you know, you're listening to me right now, and you assume, of course, that I am made up of blood, muscle, bone, and sinew. But have you ever considered that I am made from something else? Maybe protons, electrons, and no other substance, and instead of an apartment, I live in a circuit board. What do you think of that? Okay, Boomer. Well, the kid doesn't care. It's all the same to him. But Dick Taylor, former commercial broadcaster and media professor, talks about the zombie that you might soon be listening to. America recently saw the debut of the first artificial intelligence, or AI, radio personality take to the air on Portland, Oregon's Live 
and the possibility of hearing your long-departed but favorite air personality back on the air took a giant step closer to becoming a reality. Now just imagine your favorite radio personality returning to the airwaves via voice cloning and the use of artificial intelligence. When I first wrote about this over a year and a half ago, it seemed like something that would be, I don't know, five to ten years away, not 18 months. Companies such as WellSaid have developed artificial intelligence technology that uses just a small sample of a person's voice and then can recreate that voice to say anything a person types on a computer keyboard. A couple of weeks ago, I had ChatGPT write an article for my blog. What was amazing to see was the speed at which it happened. But as many readers pointed out, it broke no new ground about the future of commercial broadcast radio in the United States, but simply rehashed all that had already been said. Then Alpha Media's Top 40 KBFF Live 95.5 in Portland, Oregon, announced it had become the world's first radio station to use an AI DJ made possible through the use of Futuri's Radio GPT technology. Using the voice of the real Ashley Elzinga, also known as Ashley Z, A.I. Ashley was born. Now, if the power of radio is the personal connection a personality makes with a listener, can this connection be made artificially? Who was your favorite air personality? Dan Ingram of WABC? Larry Lujak of WLS, Robert W. Morgan of 93KHJ, maybe Wolfman Jack. Well, the technology to put your favorite radio personality from years gone by back on the radio is here today, right now. However, the sticking point for seeing this reality will most likely be the many legal issues over the rights to use these voices. Unlike on TV, the law in real life is a slow-moving process. Until that day arrives, I will enjoy Radio's Goats, the greatest of all time, on Rewound Radio's DJ Hall of Fame that airs every Saturday afternoon from noon to 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the website rewoundradio.com. After all, who wants new Coke when you can have the real thing? Okay, we just got the real thing. And if you want to uh, find more about uh, Dick Taylor, check out dicktaylorblog.com. Dick Taylor, all small case, all together, blog.com. And now we have the artificial intelligence working on OK Boomer, imitating the great Robert P. Rickman. Uh, next, we are going to have Bob Smith and his wife, Marsha, on the off-rump. Okay, Boomer. What is the rarest shot in golf? The rarest shot in golf. And <laughs> what vegetable is actually an immature flower harvested <laughs> on purpose prematurely? Have I called you that? <laughs> <laughs> Answers to those and other questions coming up on this episode of The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith.
Welcome to the off-ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, and take a side road to sanity. No, I don't think you ever did call me an immature flower, Marsha. No. <laughs> did I ever call you that, an immature flower? A snowflake, maybe, but not an immature That's flower. That's correct. That's correct. <laughs> so what vegetable is actually an immature flower that's harvested prematurely on purpose? <laughs> I'll give you a clue. This is not one of your favorite foods. Oh, is it broccoli? That's what it uh, is. Yeah. <laughs> I just saw this the other day on Britannica.com. Broccoli is an immature flower that is harvested before it blooms. Now, if you leave it unharvested, each green bud typically produces four yellow petals. How about that? But for eating purposes, it's harvested before it gets to the flower stage. Okay. I didn't know that. I would have guessed cauliflower because it's little florets. It kind of looks like a flower a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. But uh, no, it's... Uh, it's broccoli. It's gonna... actually an immature flower. Give so me... you could call somebody that. You immature flower. You're talking in the... <laughs> you're calling them a broccoli. The, uh, who is it? Uh, George Bush. Yes. Didn't like broccoli. Not going to eat it. No way. No uh-uh. way. That's it. Very good, Bobby. <laughs> All right. So what do you think is the rarest shot in golf? The rarest shot in golf. I always assumed it was... Well, a hole-in-one. That's true. In a matter of speaking, it is. But this shot is called the condor, also known as a triple eagle. That sounds dangerous. <laughs> Threatening. And it means getting your ball in the hole on a very, very long fairway in one or two strokes. Okay. But for perspective, Bob, the odds of getting a hole-in-one, usually on a par three, are 12,000 to one. Yeah. So you're right. It's rare. So what's the chance of this? Six million to one. Oh, oh, oh my goodness. Yeah, uh, it's that is difficult. Yeah, it's usually on a par five or wow. more. Anyway, you notice how the birds get bigger the harder the shot? Birdie, eagle, albatross, that's a double eagle, and then oh. the condor is a triple eagle. Speaking of albatross, <laughs> I have a question on that coming oh. up. <laughs> okay, I can't wait. Hey, Marsha, we know that redwood trees can reach towering heights, but yes. how tall is the world's tallest pine tree? And where is it? I'll say Montana, and then I'll say <laughs> 200 feet. Well, it's more than that, actually, and it's in the state of Oregon. It's a ponderosa pine. That's the most common pine species in North America. They're easy to spot in the wild because they have orange-colored bark. It makes them stand out. Oh, but, really? But one really stands out in the Rogue River Siskiyou National Forest in Oregon. It's a nickname phalanx, spelled P-H-A-L-A-N-X. That's the term used for strength, as in bone or finger, Mm -hmm. phalanx. Okay. And it is as tall as a 30-story building. It is 298 feet tall. Isn't that amazing? Yes. Now, that's in good company because it's surrounded by other ponderosa pines that are also over 250 feet tall. The ponderosa pine. A ponderosa pine, the phalanx Uh, is the name of it. All right. And it's the tallest pine in the world. Bob, how do dolphins protect themselves while asleep? How do they protect themselves while asleep? Uh-huh. Uh, they have alarm systems. Um, let's see. <laughs> Little time. Or yeah, they, they got have their a, phone. They have phones. <laughs> uh, I don't know. What do they do? They have something known as unihemispheric slow-wave sleep. Wow. In which only half their brain sleeps at a time, while the other half remains awake at a low level of alertness. I'm no kidding. Yeah. Dolphins typically float motionless or swim near the water's surface when in this state. And while people and dolphins have very different slumbering habits, this is interesting, 
Dolphins get four hours of sleep from each side of their brain in a 24-hour period, so they get the typical eight hours of shut-eye that human beings get. Okay, okay. (laughs) But they do it twice. They do it in two different shifts. Yeah, half their brain at one time and the other half later. (laughs) Today, I think I'll start with this part of the brain. That's weird, isn't it? Interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, Marsha, I've got a nature question. How old is the oldest wild bird in the world? How old is the oldest? They even have a name for this bird. The old bird. She's an old bird, yes. (laughs) The oldest wild bird in the world. How old do you think it is? It's still alive? Still alive. And And they know this because it's been banded. Oh, okay. I was going to say, I was going to ask how Here's her name. Her name is Wisdom. She just became a grandmother again. Is it an owl? No, not an owl. Is it a eagle? No, it's not an eagle. Uh, I don't know. Okay, it's an albatross. Oh, really? Yeah, an albatross, and she's been coming to Midway Atoll National Wildlife Refuge near the Battle of Midway National Memorial in the Pacific Ocean since the Eisenhower administration. Oh, my gosh. 71 years old. She still flies. She still looks amazingly beautiful from the pictures I've seen. Doesn't look like an old bird, so to speak. (laughs) She was first banded in 1956 when she laid an egg at Midway. And because female Lysen albatrosses don't generally breed before the age of five, that's when they determined, well, she must have been born about 1951. At least five. Now, the albatrosses return to Midway every year to lay eggs, and wisdom has been coming back again and again and again over the decades. This year, scientists knew that she'd become a grandmother again because they discovered a grand chick (laughs) under another banded offspring, one of Wisdom's children that was born in 2011. So they have banded birds. Three generations are alive and well in the spring of 2023 on Midway, with Wisdom being 71, the oldest known wild bird in the world. All right. And one more on dolphins. Okay. How many stomachs do they have? Wow, I never thought of that. Yeah. (laughs) So they must have at least two. I'll say two, Marsh. Yeah, no, three. Three stomachs. (laughs) Why do they need three? Well, the stomach in front is primarily used to store the food. The main stomach is where the majority of digestion takes place, and the pyloric chamber completes digestion and regulates passage into the small intestine. Wow. Each one has a function. This streamlined process supports the bottlenose dolphin's average daily intake of 25 to 50 pounds of fish, squid, and crustaceans every wow. day. Wow, 25 to 50 pounds of, a dolphin eats every day? Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah, of... Uh, Fish. And I thought dogs were expensive to keep. <laughs> no, we're not getting one, Bob. I want a dolphin. Yeah. <laughs> wow. All right, Marcia, it's baseball season. It and is. Uh, back in 1910, President William Howard Taft became the first U.S. president to throw the first pitch on opening day of Major League Baseball. Since 1910, all but three U.S. presidents have thrown out the first ball to start the season. What presidents have not thrown a ball out to start the baseball the, season? The three presidents yes. that did not? They're all within your lifespan. Really? They're okay. all within the last 50 years. Okay, I'll say Donald Trump didn't. That's right. That's one. I'll say Joe Biden didn't. Joe Biden hasn't either. That's two. And One more president did not throw a ball out to Jim. start any of the baseball games during his presidency. Jimmy Carter. That's right. Jimmy <laughs> Carter. I haven't got time to throw out the ball. <laughs> what is So Jimmy Carter didn't do it, Donald Trump didn't do it, and Joe Biden hasn't done it. Okay. But every other president since 1910 has thrown out the ball, the first ball for Major League Baseball. Okay. What animal has the largest eyes? 
the animal with the largest eyes, I would think it would be the blue whale. Ah, no. Huge eyes. <laughs> that animal has huge eyes. But this one is colossal. Okay, a colossal animal with eyes. Mm -hmm. It's the colossal squid. Oh. The human eye, our eyes, Bob, measure about two-thirds of an inch across at birth before growing to full size of one inch by adulthood. That's amazing. That's all the bigger our eyes get. Yeah, one inch. An inch. Okay. By comparison, the eye of the 45-foot-long colossal squid has been measured at 11 inches in diameter. Whoa, that's a big eye. <laughs> that's about the size of an LP record. Yeah, 11 yeah. inches in yeah, diameter. Yeah. Wow. It's the largest such organ in the animal kingdom and is possibly the largest in history of recorded life. Jeez. Wow. 11 inches in diameter. That is a big eye. <laughs> Plus, your dad used to call you big eyes when you would order too much food in a restaurant. And couldn't eat it. Yes. yes big <laughs> you eyes. still have big eyes, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> okay, Marsha. What is the defense of Fort McHenry? This is a work of art that was done back in uh, 1814. What is the question? The defense of Fort McHenry. Yeah. What this is, is a poem you've recited your entire life. What is it also known as? Oh. Oh. The Star-Spangled Banner. Oh, really? Yeah, it was originally a poem called The Defense of Fort McHenry. Now, oh. who changed the name to The Star-Spangled Banner? Who? A music store. <laughs> Somebody who had to advertise their wares. A music store. Because Francis Scott Key published his poem, The Defense of Fort McHenry, with instructions that be sung to the melody of Anacreon in Heaven. That's the tune we sing to this day. It was a drinking song in England, okay? Uh-huh. The first public performance of the song was the Holiday Street Theater in Baltimore, October 19th, 1814. And a music store changed the title. They published the words and music under the title The Star-Spangled Banner, taking the lyric, Oh, say does that star-spangled banner wave. Something in the lyrics here that we can use better than Defense of Fort McHenry. Well, they, so they found it in the lyrics. Okay, well, that, that is smart because you're right. Who'd buy that one? Isn't uh, that interesting? All yeah. right, now, I said Anacreon. I said it's a drinking song. Uh-huh. It was a song from the British Gentlemen's Club the Anacreonic Society, and that was named after a Greek poet renowned for his drinking songs and odes to love. Okay. So that's where that comes from. We always hear a drinking song. We think of a kind of a lower class thing. Uh -huh. Oh, our Star Spangled Banner is just a drinking song. It was a drinking song of a high society class of gentlemen okay. in England. I remember that. Okay. All right, Bob. The human race once believed that giant human beings once roamed the earth instead of dinosaurs. Okay. When did that change? When did the dinosaurs roam the earth? <laughs> no. <laughs> or, or when people, did people think it was different? Yeah, when they found bones, they thought, my God, these are huge. That was only about 200 years ago, I think, well, wasn't it? Ah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. 1820. Before that, nobody knew about dinosaurs. No, no. The birth of the United States dates back a little more than 245 years, but a lot has happened since then. One of the big paleontological updates, for example, is the discovery of dinosaurs. The first dino fossil was discovered in 1677, but they thought it was a really large human. <laughs> a large human? Yeah. yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> And well, of course, they only found a portion of a... Yeah, but still, they thought that it belonged to some ancient race of giant humans. No kidding. And certainly, they had no concept of a dinosaur. And it wasn't until the 1820s 
when geologists in England uncovered more Megalosaurus fossils, as well as other fossils. They correctly identified the remains as belonging to some giant extinct animal. Yeah, see, that's why dinosaurs, was there was such fascination with them at the turn of the 20th century, because yeah. it was a relatively new concept. Yeah. And then Arthur Conan Doyle wrote the, you know, his novel about the lost world, and then there was actually a, yeah. dinosaurs were in uh, silent films and, you know, stop yeah. action stuff. Yeah, it was a revelation. Yeah. There were huge animals, you know, roaming the earth. And put it in perspective, it means that George Washington and most of our founding fathers uh, didn't know anything about dinosaurs and pretty much believed that an ancient race of that giants. An, uh, <laughs> Human giants roam the earth. <laughs> you know, it's funny, when you think about it, I bet, as there was in all kinds of uh, uh, new scientific discoveries, there were religious controversies about, oh, what's yeah. this? This isn't in the Bible. Yeah. This can't be true. Yeah. You know, there's all yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. You can go to our website, theofframp.show, and give us a question to ask one another, and uh, we will mention you on the air, and we'll uh, we'll try to answer it. I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. Join us again next time when we return with more fascinating facts and tantalizing trivia here on The, the Off-Ramp. Off-Ramp. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin. And that wraps it up. Thanks to Jill Graskowitz, Kendall Boyson, the Mad Hippie, Bob and Marcia Smith, and Sarah Heyer and Janice Paul. OK Boomer is produced in the studios of WDBX Radio in Carbondale, Illinois, and is also broadcast on WRFN Radio in Nashville, Tennessee. And you can find OK Boomer with Robert wherever you download your podcasts. Also, you can find OK Boomer on Facebook and check us out on robertrickman.net. All small case, one word. RobertRickman.net And I'm Robert Rickman and I'm not the bot either. Have a good rest of the day and remember we all have choices.